you have your Bibles, if you go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, we're going to be in verses 13 through 21 today. It's high school graduation, and Dad has put on his dockers, Mom is crying, they call your student's name, they give them diploma, 12 years of hard work for this moment, and then graduation ends. What now? You've driven 1,098 miles, endured 16 hours of Disney sing-along movies, you uh, met Mickey Mouse, you rode the Tower of Terror, you drained your child's college fund, and now you're headed home. What now? You've saved for years to get to this point, you put in a pool, you can now surf the internet while you float on a raft, you're blessed, you have more than you ever imagined having, what now? God's been working in your life, you've searched for a church, you found a great church, you really like everything about it except for, the preaching's okay, Uh, but you decided this is where God wants you and so you joined and this is your church family, well what now? Here's a question for us to wrestle with today. How do you make the most out of the one and only life that you have and enjoy the blessings that God has given you? Now, there is a reality, and that is that most of us want to be rich. Few of us will actually become rich as far as money is concerned. But all of us in the room today have everything that we need to get rich quick. In fact, that's the title of my sermon today, How to Get Rich Quick. Now, stick with me. I'm not turning into one of those kind of preachers, okay? Just stick with me. Let's look at Luke chapter 12. And here, Jesus runs into a messy situation. He runs into a family that is fighting over an inheritance. Look at verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, Watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Are you greedy? Of course not. I'm not greedy. Nobody says that they're greedy. You don't sit in a job interview and they say, okay, tell me about your strengths and weaknesses. And when you get to the weakness part, you say, well, I'm really greedy. That's one of my big problems. You know, most of the time when it comes to greed, we we think of money, we think of things and other people, right? I'm not, I'm not in that category, okay? Don't, don't call me that. Uh, you know, the most dangerous kind of greed, I think, is whenever we are greedy with our focus. When we become selfish and we start thinking about ourselves, whenever you suffer from focus greed, you begin to think that life revolves around you and you focus on your safety, your security, and your satisfaction that you need. And so you have blessings, you have accomplishments, you have things, maybe God has given you children, you have a job, and you have all of these resources, and when you are suffering from 
focus greed, you think to yourself, these exist to make me better or to make it easier for me. You see, when you suffer from focus greed, your goal in life is to be the best possible me that you can make. And then your gift to the world is a really good me. Isn't that nice? You know, you're going to give the world the gift of me. Well, Sometimes we have focus greed in the church. We get greedy with the church. We start thinking that the church all revolves around me, that it's for me and it's for my consumption. And church kind of becomes your spiritual gem. You go there twice a month whether you need it or not and you, you, uh, you take in the, the, the spiritual truth and, and, and you really would prefer that we installed mirrors along the side so that you could watch yourself pray and, and the sermons and the ministries and the campus and the activities. They're all about making a better, more successful person, me. And if we're not careful, we can develop a consumer mentality when it comes to church. We're just here to take in, and we're, we're here for, for self-improvement. Focus greed leads to spiritual poverty. Sometimes we bring greed into our relationships. And we start thinking, well, my spouse exists to complete me. She's here for me. My children are my do-overs in life. All my failures, all the things that I didn't do well, that touchdown that I didn't score, I'm going to redo all those failures in my life through my kids because they exist for me. Money and things are here for me. You know, one of the greatest secrets of love is that to receive love, you have to give love. When you bring greed into relationships, you eventually lose the relationship and you exchange your greed for isolation. So Jesus begins this passage with a warning. Watch out. Watch out where you're putting your focus. Watch out uh, where you are valuing things, where you are investing your resources because One's life is not found in the abundance of his possessions. Let me rewind that again and say it. One's life is not found in the abundance of his possessions. That is a quote from Jesus. You see, the real question is, what am I going to do with the blessings whether I have many blessings or whether I look at my life and I say, well, I really just have a few blessings. But what am I going to do with those blessings? How am I going to invest them? Well, he continues in verse 16. The Bible says, then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. And he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. So here's a scenario. You have a successful man. He was a farmer. In these days, if you had a farm, that was a big deal. And so he was a farmer. He had his own land. He worked hard. And one day, he hits it big. He created farmland. He 
I don't know, maybe signed a contract with Kroger. So he hits it big. I mean, he, he's going to do really well, and suddenly he has more, and he has more stuff than he ever dreamed. What to do? What do you do with more stuff than you ever dreamed about? Some of you say, well, I'd take his problem, you know, okay. So he ponders, what, what are my options? And here's what he decides. He's going to tear down what he has, and then he's going to build bigger barns to store all of his crops. Makes sense. You know, he's going to tear down what he has and build bigger barns. And in verse 19, he reasons to himself and he says these words. You have many goods stored up for many years. And now this is what he envisions doing with all these goods. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. That's his vision for what he's going to do with everything. A couple of years ago, Stacy and I were, were eating out in a rare moment of togetherness when we don't have a child hanging off of us somewhere. And so we were eating out and uh, the, the TV was on in the restaurant and it had a, a line along the bottom of it. It said only 25% of people believe that the American dream is attainable. Now, this is an interesting question for us since most of us are Americans, and that, and that is, well, what is the American dream? Well, early on in the history of our nation, the American dream was that you could come here and you would have freedom to worship. The king wouldn't tell you how you were supposed to worship. As the years went by, many began seeing the uh, American dream as we're the land of opportunity. And so this was a place where you could own your own land and prosper. And people began moving west in order to do that. And then after the Civil War through perhaps the 60s, the American dream began to be that here anyone, regardless of race or social or economic status, could enjoy life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then as the 60s, from the 60s through the Great Recession, the American dream seems to have been to uh, achieve security and luxury and to reach a point where you were financially secure and you were safe physically and you could live within what you had collected. And then since the smartphone came around, it seems as though the American dream is to find seclusion in public and connectivity in seclusion. I'm still trying to figure that out. Since we have the smartphone, we want to be secluded whenever we're in public. And then when we're by ourselves, we want to be connected to everybody. And it's common. I, I get it. And as we age, we uh, reach a point where we're ready to take it easy, to eat more, <laughs> and to drink more, and to just enjoy ourselves. And, and, uh, so, and sometimes our, our health begins to change as well, and we can't do everything that we used to do. And so... We reach a point where we say, okay, I've done things. I I just want, someone else can watch the nursery, okay? And I'm just going to eat ice cream. So here's here's a question that that we got to wrestle with, whether you are 10 years old, like some of the kids back there, or whether you're, you know, 100 years old, like Dennis over here, you know? However however old you are, sorry, Dennis, uh, however old you are, you've got to ask this question. Is the goal of life just to big, build bigger barns? 
Is that ultimately what the goal of everything is? Well, Jesus says in verse 20 that God said to this man, You fool! This very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Now, did Jesus really call this guy a fool? Yeah. It's got to sting when God calls you dumb, you know? I mean, that's got to hurt. Now, the problem was not that he was wealthy. You can have a tremendous amount of wealth. I, I know some very wealthy people who are extremely godly people, and they use their wealth in ways that honor God. The problem was not that he had done well financially. The problem was how he viewed it. He ultimately had the wrong goals. A couple things. Number one, he forgot that you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. That night, after building these bigger barns, he he died, and, and he had forgotten this whole idea. Ultimately, everything that he had grown, everything that he had built, was temporary. Think about this. If the goal of life is the accumulation of things, we all fail. Because at the end of life, we don't take anything with us. There's no U-Hauls behind the hearse, you know. Secondly, focus. His focus had gotten off. Instead of thinking what his things could, he was thinking what his things could do for him rather than thinking what he could do with all of his things. Now, here's, here's one of the scary parts in this whole parable. When you put the wrong focus on things, the loved ones in your life will also put the wrong focus on things. You see, greed gives birth to greed, and generosity gives birth to generosity. And particularly those little ones in your life, those children that are in your home, those grandchildren that are in your life, they're watching you. They're taking these little mental pictures. How you view the world. How you view resources. How you view the things that God has blessed you. And understand this, in the end, as they grow and mature, how you see things is usually how your kids will also value the things that they have. Because they learn from mom and dad and they learn from grandma and grandpa how to view things. Are you going to be a generous person? Are you going to be a greedy person? Now remember, this whole, this whole story started off with them asking uh, Jesus about the inheritance. And they were fighting over the inheritance. And so Jesus responds to that by diving into greed. Not just their greed, but the greed that they had also learned. And the whole point of his reaction to them is that instead of fighting over the inheritance, that they should be generous people because everything that we have ultimately comes from God. And so Jesus ends the parable with these words in verse 21. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself. And then notice these words that Jesus says. And is not rich towards God. And is not rich towards God. So now let me tell you how everybody in the room 
can get rich quick. Okay? Now, I don't, let me throw a few disclaimers out here, okay? First of all, I don't have any oils. I don't have any beauty products or fitness drinks for you to sell, okay? So you're not going to have to sell stuff, okay? Secondly, uh, this may or may not make your life easier, okay? If you do this, it may not make your life easier, but it is guaranteed to make your life more meaningful and impactful. Thirdly, you already have all that you need to be rich, rich towards God. So let's take that word rich, and there's four things that each of us can do to get rich quick. Number one, refocus your perspective. Refocus your perspective. We have to begin to realize that God is the source of all of our blessings. And God gives you blessings, and they come in all shapes. Sometimes the blessings that God brings into our lives are relationships, people that we love. You know, some of the poorest people that I know financially are some of the richest people that I know relationally because they have an abundance of love in their life. Sometimes the blessings that God gives you are through experiences, expertise, spiritual gifts. Sometimes He blesses you with money. And when God blesses you, enjoy the blessing. There, there's no need for, for Christians to live with false guilt. I, I see that sometimes in the Christian community. And the idea is, is that we can't have a nice home or a nice car. We can't enjoy a nice meal or vacation or something like that. We're almost ashamed of it. You, know? uh, uh, you don't have to live with false guilt and don't be the person that tries to pour on false guilt on your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, I can't believe you have that. You know, if you love Jesus, you wouldn't have that. You know, you don't live with that false guilt. But remember this. God is the source of all our blessings. Everything that I am, everything that I have, the blessings that I have, they ultimately come from my heavenly Father. And don't forget this part. The blessings that He has given me exist for me to use to bring glory to God. As a Christian, we live with the singleness of purpose that in all that I do, in all that I have, I want to honor my Lord. And we bring that principle into our marriages, into our parenting, into our finances, into our time, our gifts, everything that we have. Romans 11 and verse 36 says, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. For from Him and through Him and ultimately back to Him are all things. And then it says, To Him be the glory. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Refocus your perspective and understand that who you are and what you have is a gift from God. If you are talented in your career, God bless you, but realize who gave you the talent. If you're financially secure, I'm excited, that's great, but realize who blessed you in that way. 
And when you understand that everything that you have ultimately comes from your maker and that God has blessed you with resources and you can enjoy the creation and you can enjoy those blessings, but ultimately you also want to manage them in a way that honors God, it helps you to get a refocus. So R, refocus your perspective. I, invest what God has given you into God's economy. Find out where God is working, the economy of God. What is God doing in your church, in your community, around the world? And you take what God has given you and you invest it in God's economy. Your life has value. And one of the most freeing things that you can do in life is to learn to live with generosity. You see, whenever you start letting go and you start investing and you start being a generous person, it frees you from the idea that I just have to hold on to it and if I don't hold on to it, then someone's going to steal it from me. And it begins to help you to, to realize that, that ultimately everything that we're trying to hold on to, all these things, that they're all temporary. And we start becoming more generous and as we're more generous, we start actually living life and being a part of what God is doing. I encourage you to invest your time into God's economy. I'm so thankful for all the volunteers that we have within, within our church. Just real, real quickly, if, if throughout this summer, it could have been VBS, it could have been camp, maybe you teach a, a life group, maybe you uh, uh, serve as a deacon, whatever it might be, you, you volunteered in some capacity this summer in ministry. Would you just quickly raise, raise your hand right where, where you, you volunteered in some capacity? Let's just give these, these volunteers, volunteers a hand. We as a church cannot do what God has called us to do as a church without volunteers. We need volunteers. We need people to uh, man certain areas of the ministry, to give of their time, to give of their gifts, to volunteer sacrificially in order for the ministry to go forward. And I, I just want to say thank you to all of you that volunteer each week. And if you don't have an area in your life where you say, I do this for the Lord and this is my ministry, then I encourage you to begin praying and thinking. Talk to me, talk to Packabush about it. And, and we want to help you uh, have opportunities to volunteer. Uh, it doesn't have to, we don't expect you to live up here. We're not going to give you a cot, okay? But uh, volunteer some of your time in ministry. You can also invest your experience, your expertise. That's one of the cool things about being in the Christian community is how Christians help each other out. I, I had a problem with the fuel system logic on my truck the other day. And so I called a friend of mine who's a believer, and he has expertise in automobiles, and he came over and he hooked up the computer to my, my truck. He didn't even have to open the hood. Just open, hooked up the computer and, and reprogrammed it all. And, um, and I, I said, I'm, he, he saved me $150. I'm so thankful for that. He, he had expertise that I don't. In fact, uh, whenever I, I tried to fix the washing machine one time, and the repairman told my wife, don't let him do that again, okay? Uh, you, you call me, okay, because he's not good at fixing things. But, you know, we all have different expertise, and we can use those gifts and use those experiences that we have to encourage one another 
in ministry and to help the church and to expand the ministry of, of what the Lord is doing. Also, invest your finances. Invest your finances. There's, there's a principle of financial management that I've known a lot of Christians that have, have implemented over the years, and they've all been so blessed by that, and that's the 80-10-10 rule. Uh, invest at least 10% of your money in savings. Give 10% to the Lord, and, and then use the 80 to, to live on. Now, I know some that it's like 60-10-30 or 60-20-20, you know, there, there's, I don't think it's a calculator kind of deal, but, but, but for, for millennium, God's people have been giving a tenth back to the Lord as a tithe, as an offering, recognizing that all that we have comes from Him. And yes, you also need to have some money saved, and yes, you also need to eat today. And so you manage your money in a, in a way that is wise, and you invest your finances in such a way that you are able to honor God with your dollars. Now, just a few side notes here on money. We are so thankful at the church for the generosity of God's people and the faithfulness of God's people. Uh, It amazes me how every week we have services, we pass plates, and and people just give faithfully and generously. Uh, Our fiscal year runs through... September. So uh, we're coming up on the, the um, I'm sorry, it runs through August. So this is the last month of our fiscal year. Right now, we are about $3,500 behind our budget goal. We were ahead of the budget going into the summertime, coming out of the summertime with vacations and stuff. We're about $3,500 behind it. Uh, we have one month to go till the end of the budget year. And I think if we all do our part, Some of us may have to get caught up a little bit, uh, but if we all do our part, this will be the fourth year in a row that we as a church have met, not just our income exceeding our expenses, but we as a church will have met our budget goals. And so I think we can do it. we got a month to go, and I think we all need to do our part, and uh, we can meet our budget, and I'd praise God for us being able to do that for the fourth year in a row. And then one final side note on this would be to uh, take a look at online giving. Uh, we have that in the worship guide, some instructions on that. Uh, now, don't worry. We're still going to pass the plates, okay? We're still going to pass offering plates. And, uh, but here's the reality. The, the world is changing, and many people, particularly those, you know, my generation and younger, don't ever use cash and may write like one or two checks a year these days, and so we're having to adapt to how, how people spend money these days, and so uh, we have the online giving capability there. There's instructions in the worship sheet, and uh, there's also cards out there at the kiosk, and I, I want to encourage some of you that travel a lot, or maybe you're in and out, maybe you go to grandma's house a couple weeks, and so you're, you're here periodically, uh, set up recurring giving. And that way, even whenever you skip church to eat ice cream, uh, you know that God's work is being cared for because you've set that up and you're being faithful as well as generous in your giving. And I, I just want to thank you uh, for, for your generosity, for your faithfulness. It provides for me and my family, and it also has allowed our church to, uh, to do so much in the area of missions around our community. Invest what you have. 
in God's community. C, choose to walk in community. Here's the thing about greed. Greed is always tied to selfishness. And generosity always leads you to community. God placed you in this community. God placed you in this incredibly diverse, horrendously hot community for a reason. Embrace it. This is your home. Live in your home. Live in your community. Don't live where you used to live or where you want to live. Live where you live. Be a part of your community. And life is lived with people, not things. So choose to walk in community. And then fourth, hold on to hope. Particularly, hold on to a hope that lasts forever. Now here's some cheerful news. You're going to keep getting older. And eventually you're going to die. Cheerful, eh? Yeah, just call me Joel Osteen, okay? Now here's some sobering news. The things that you collect don't go with you. But here's some good news. When you die, you won't care that those things don't go with you. Because you'll be in heaven. And here's some reflective news that perhaps you can take home and mull over for a bit. It's possible for you to outlive your life. It's possible for you to outlive your life. And whether or not you outlive your life often depends on how you invest your life. How are you going to spend the blessings that God has given you? Monday, uh, we gathered here in this room and we said goodbye to a friend of ours, Carrie Hall. Carrie used to sit right over here where Dennis is sitting every Sunday. You probably didn't know that he was also Lieutenant Colonel Dr. William Carey Hall. Carey had an extremely successful career. About three years ago, he, he started coming here. He had grown up in church and he had kind of gotten out during the course of his, his career. But he came, he came in these doors, and he was searching, searching for more. For several months, he attended church here, and he and I had a lot of talks during those months. Uh, he, he really, sometimes he would come to 8.30 service, and he'd go to another church at 9.45, and then he'd come back here at 11. I mean, he was really searching for the Lord. And then, then he found it, and I, I remember watching as his pastor how God just really began to renew his soul and refocus his perspective. And in the time that he attended here healthy, he, he began to learn what it means to be rich towards God. He volunteered his time at the Lynn Ridge Senior Community, and he'd go up there and serve the elderly there. And, he got involved in the India ministry with Steve and Sampson. He had the gift of encouragement. One of the things that he gave me was his smile and his encouragement. One year at the Texas barbecue, we had him uh, head up the softball hitting competition because he was a big softball player, and that's the most organized softball competition in the history of Christianity. 
Okay, it was a it was an organized softball event. I tell you that. About a year ago, we started noticing that he was missing. So we went and checked on him, and and he had gotten sick. One of the last memories that I have of him was he came to church one Sunday. He looked like a totally different person because of his illness. I was kind of struck by that, but. Before he left that day, he came up and he met Paul Reed right over here. And you know what he was doing? He was just encouraging Paul Reed. Telling him how much he appreciated his his music. Well, Kerry passed away and he's in heaven today. And when we gathered on Monday to celebrate his life, people didn't talk much about what he did. A friend of his made some references about his career and about how he played softball. But they didn't spend much time talking about what he did. You know what they spent time talking about? Who he was. As a pastor, I do a lot of funerals. And at the end of life, people don't really talk about all that you collected or what you did. You know what they talk about? Who you were. How you treated people. How you invested your time. People talked about his smile, his encouragement, his heart. And one of his friends said about him, people won't remember what you say for very long, but they will always remember how you make them feel. And so here's a question. Are you living your life rich towards God? Or are you being greedy and selfish? And drawing everything inward. You can be rich beyond your wildest dreams today. And it may or may not involve any more money in your bank account. Refocus your perspective. Invest what God has given you into His economy. Choose to walk in community and hold on to a hope that lasts forever so that your life outlives your time here on earth. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? Paul and the musicians are going to come and lead us in the singing. I'm here at the front. If I can pray with you about anything today, it's my choice to do so. Perhaps today needs to be your day of salvation. I would love to talk with you about what it means to be saved, what it means to be a believer, to help guide you through becoming a Christian. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you acknowledging that you are God. And Lord, we think about these family members that were so consumed with the here and now that they were fighting over an inheritance. And we pray that we won't be so consumed with the here and now. That we fight for things that don't last. Lord, thank you for the blessings that you've given us. We're undeserving. But we thank you for how you've blessed us. How you've given us experiences, opportunity, resources. And I pray that we might be generous, faithful people who take what we have and realize that it all comes from you and belongs to you. 
and use it in ways that bring glory to your name. Father, we pray for the financial needs of your church. We pray that ministry will never go undone because it's underfunded. Pray, Lord, that we might have vision that continues to expand so that we're a part of what you're doing, not just here in this room, but what you're doing in the community and around the world. And I thank you for the opportunity to be a part of something that is eternal. So I pray that you will help me and others in this room to live our lives in such a way that we outlive ourselves. May we invest in things which are eternal. And Father, may the glory be brought to you, not ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.